This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. Welcome back to the Relic Radio Show. Thanks for joining me once again. We'll begin this week's hour of radio drama with Adventure in Paris, the May 14, 1942 episode of Big Town. After that, it's Stroke of Fate and Robert E. Lee. Their first episode, it aired October 4th, 1953. Presents Big Town, starring Edward G. Robinson with Ona Munson. Good evening, folks. This is Ken Niles. We are happy to announce that this broadcast is being made available to our armed forces based overseas. You know, an old proverb uh, that I just thought up says, if you want a whiter wash well done, just leave it to Rinso. And how true that is. Why those quick-acting Rinso suds are tough as nails on dirt and grime, yet safe for washable colors. And with Rinso, you can hustle through a load of clothes with as little as a five-minute run at your washer. How's that for saving your clothes and easing up on your trusty machine? That washer's got to last for the duration, you know. If I were you, I'd have it checked right now by a reliable dealer. And I'd certainly get the new anti-sneeze Rinso tomorrow. And now, Big Town. The makers of Rinso bring you the star of Big Town, Edward G. Robinson, as Steve Wilson, managing editor of the Illustrated Press, with Ona Munson as Lorelei Kilborn, girl reporter. Until recently, Steve and Laura and I have always been on the receiving end of the news in Big Town. Now we find them where news is being made, in war-torn Europe, grabbing headlines hot from the fire in Lisbon, Portugal. But before we join Steve and Laura and I, let's stop for a minute in Big Town, America, and find out what's going on there. Get your illustrated press here. B.C. agrees that this man of warships in Mighty Neat Receive built from Lisbon. Hello, Transatlantic Operator. Big Town calling Lisbon. This is Miss Bond. The Illustrated Press calling Mr. Steve Wilson. Miss Bond is ready. All right, Lisbon, just a second. I have Mr. Wilson for you, Mr. Fletcher. Oh, uh, that's swell, McNally. Boy, it'll be good to hear the boss's voice again. Can I listen in, Fletcher? Uh, sure, Hoagie. Grab that other phone. Oh, it's swell. Hello? Are you there, Steve? Uh, sure. You don't have to shout like that, Fletcher. <laughs> Just like talking to Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Uh, well, here's what I called about. Uh, we've been getting some mysterious letters from Paris, all addressed to you. Well, how can that be? No mail is reaching the United States from Paris. Well, these letters are smuggled out and mailed in London. Oh, they're full of dynamite, Steve. Red-hot news about the underground revolt in occupied France. Mm. We've been running them in the Illustrated Press in circulations up 20,000 a day. Well, who wrote the letters? Well, uh, they're unsigned, but they're written in English. And in every letter, we find a certain phrase repeated over and over again. A phrase I think you'll remember. 
the words, by the same token. Who does that remind you of? Well, Art Mason. Of course. Art Mason used to be our Paris correspondent. Remember how we used to kid him about using that phrase in all his dispatches? Yes, you bet I do. Why, I haven't heard from Art since we got into the war. Not since I burned the cables begging him to leave his beloved Paris and come home. Well, he's using that phrase now to identify himself. He's still there in Paris and still sending. Uh, Steve, do you think you can contact him? Oh, no, 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 not, uh, not from Lisbon. Uh, uh, Loreline and I will grab a plane for Vichy today. Uh, maybe I'll have another ground connection there, and I'll try to get word to him. Swell. Uh, give our love to the gang. So long. Well, goodbye, Steve. Take good care of yourself. Goodbye, uh, Goodbye. And now, to Lisbon, to the headquarters of the Nazi secret police. Heinrich? Yeah, Ritter? We have just listened in on an interesting transatlantic telephone conversation between the American Steve Wilson and his newspaper, the Illustrated Press. So? Wilson and Fräulein Kilburn are flying to Vichy today. They will try to contact a man named Mason. Mason? We can only lay our hands on him. Ritter, I want a complete transcription of Wilson's telephone conversation with America. Yeah, well, excellent. I also want to know the plane on which his reservations have been made. I'll call our headquarters in Paris. They may have some special instructions concerning our American editor. Arriving at Air Force Inspector, first runway. Taking off, La Licoria, second runway. Steve, have you ever seen so many planes from so many countries? So many people going so many places. Well, there's been as big one focal terminal left for what commercial air travel they still have in Europe. Taking off, British Air Terminal, first runway. Arriving, Deutsche Lufthansa, second runway. British, mm. German, and Italian planes side by side on the same field. Yes, and elsewhere they're shooting each other out of the sky. Things happening here are implausible, illogical, and unbelievable, yet they happen. Are uh, you Monsieur Wilson? Oh, uh, yes. You are leaving for Vichy? That's right. There is a message for you in this envelope, Monsieur. Read it when you get aboard the plane, then destroy it. Uh, wait a minute, uh... Who gave you this? You will know when you read it. Bon voyage, monsieur. Airway français, her runway. Destination Vichy. All passengers aboard. No. Here we go, Lorelei. Oh, uh, Stuart, is uh, this the gate for the Vichy plane? Oui, monsieur. We have so many passengers for this trip to Vichy that two planes are leaving. Your tickets? Here you are. Merci, monsieur. You have a last-minute reservation. You and Madame are on the second plane. Come, I take you aboard. Oh, my God. No, it's not. It's funny, Mr. There are a lot of passengers for Vichy. Most of them seem to be German. Yes, I noticed that. With the vultures all flying in one direction, there must be a fresh carcass to pick. Uh, here, careful of these steps. Go right in, monsieur, madame. Your seats are numbers one and three. Uh, thank you, Stuart. Our seats are up here in front, Lorelai. Well, there weren't many extra passengers at that. Except for those three men on the rear seats, we have to explain to ourselves. I'm dying to know what's in that envelope. Uh, so am I. Hmm, uh... Get this. If you're interested in art, advise you stop at Hotel Celestin in Vichy. Others interested in art will contact you. Try to get the picture entitled France Will Rise Again. There's no signature. If you're interested in art. I wonder if that means Art Mason. Of course it does. Try to get the picture. You say in American slang, that would mean try to understand. 
Well, then, France will rise again. Must be a code. You've hit it, Lorelai. Art Mason must found out that we were in Lisbon, that we are leaving Vichy, and he'll try to contact us there. I think we've made the right move. Sleeping like a baby. <laughs> yeah, so Look out the window. You can see Vichy ahead. Well, so that's the capital of France. Must have grown since I was here last. Ain't that strange? What is? Lights are out all over the city. You're right, they are. I didn't know they had blackouts in Vichy. Well, could be a practice blackout, although wouldn't do them much good with that full moon overhead. We're losing altitude, getting ready to land. Hey, look here, there's something wrong, Lorelei. Well, what do you mean? Well, Vichy has no river running through the center of it. I've gone crazy. That's the Seine. Seine? But that's in Paris. Well, of course it is. Now, just where we're about to land, the Nazi-occupied Paris. Well, how could that happen? Well, that business of steering us into another plane was a trick of some sort. The steward who showed us aboard must have been a fake. They put one over on us. Exactly, Hazelton. There's what? nothing you can do about it. Red eye angle, keep an eye on them. I have Captain Heinrich, the German military police. Yeah, was it you who had this plane routed to Paris? Yeah. Well, why? We're not spies. We're American citizens, traveling from one neutral country to another. Dangerous citizens who must be put away. While you were in Lisbon, you were hand in hand with British intelligence. Also, we don't like the stories you send your American newspaper. Oh, you mean you don't like the truth? This plane is flying under the insignia of Vichy, France. If you land us in Paris, you'll be violating the laws of neutrality. One violation, more or less, will not matter. You're under arrest for attempting illegal entry into a German military zone. Well, you deliberately reroute our plane and then accuse us of an illegal attempt to get across the border. Well, that's typical Hitler logic. The plane is landing here, Wilson. You'd better sit down. My orders were to deliver you alive. Please let me carry them out. Where are you taking us in this car, Captain Henry? First of our headquarters for questioning. You'll enjoy that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we will. What section of Paris are we passing through now? The industrial district. At the factories on both sides of this street, Frenchmen used to make a famous French car. Now they manufacture bombing planes for the Third Reich. But the factories are dark. Don't your slaves work at night? Well, the Nazis work them 14 hours a day, Lorelei. They have to let the poor devils get some sleep or they wouldn't be able to go on. You've got enough, you two. Keep your mouth shut or we'll shut them for you. Don't have better. Engel, pull to the curb. Stop the car. What's that whistle, Steve? Sounds like an air raid alarm. That's just what it is. The planes are overhead now. The British are raiding us again. What, you mean those are British planes in the sky? Yeah. Some of your American planes, too, you schweinung. Well, your air raid alarm is a little late in my country. We sound an alert before the final we have that too, but we also have French saboteurs who cut the wires. They welcome those British dogs. Get out of the car, both of you. We've got to find shelter. If you try any tricks, we'll shoot you down. Keep close to me, Lorelei. This may be our one chance to get away from them. Look out! It's
about it, Steve? Are we alive or dead? Alive, I think. Oh, it sounded as if the whole world were crashing around my ears. Oh, it deafened me. I can, I can hardly hear a thing. What happened to our friends, the Nazis? The driver of the car and the guard got their tickets all right. They're lying out there on the street. And here's Captain Heinrich, laid out as neatly as you please. Is he dead? I'm afraid not. No, unconscious, that's all. Boy, look at those factory buildings burn. Steve, there's some German soldiers coming. If I see them, don't get excited. Just keep moving. But where on earth can we go? I don't know. Paris is crawling with Nazis. We may get caught any minute. Somehow we've got to find Art Mason. He's our only hope. This is Ken Niles again. We'll return you to Big Town in just a moment. But first... Oh, boy, am I glad to see you. To get the lily white with ease, be sure to get new rinse You'll fly through wash day like a breeze. With you get rinse Yes, sirree, the rinse sisters, Lily White and Addie Sneeze. Well, what's doing, Pat? A deep, dark clock. Sensational. We've got the inside dope on a big expose. What? Well, but how? I, well, how? we're plotting to expose those old-fashioned soaps that let your wash get dingy and yellowy. And give you wash day hay fever, too. So we're going to tell the world about new anti-sneeze Rinso. How it has two special ingredients to prevent yellowing and graying of clothes. And how white things come gleaming snowy white without hard rubbing, scrubbing, or boiling. And say, Rinso's a lifesaver for clothes. Why, with Rinso's fast-acting suds, as little as a ten-minute soaking will do the trick, then a few quick rubs on the extra soil places, and wham! Just look at the gorgeous Rinso wash. Colors fresh and bright, white things dazzling Rinso white. And Rinso's anti-sneeze. You said it, girls. And now, sing it. For Please stay tuned in at the end of this program for exciting news about next week's show. And now back to Steve and Lorelei in Paris. <laughs> Steve and Laurel and I, as they escaped from the scene of a British air raid on military objectives in Paris. Two Americans in desperate need of a hiding place with enemies all around them. Now we find them in a cab being driven through the Paris streets. Well, lucky thing we found a cab driver who didn't suspect my French. Well, at least he didn't appear to. You know, he's a dear old thing. Did you ever see such a lovely mustache? <laughs> Makes him look like a walrus. Oh, sweet old walrus. Are we being followed? No. Well, I, I don't see any sign of it. But you never can tell. Oh, my chérie. Mm. We have arrived, monsieur. 422 Rue Washington. All right, driver. Oh, uh, you wait in the cab, Lorelei. This is the house where Art Mason and I used to share a room together. Probably isn't here anymore, but the landlady may know where I can find him. Well, look, Steve, there's a woman just going into the house. Mm. Uh, pardonnez-moi, madame. Oh, uh, oui, monsieur. I'm uh, looking for Madame Perron. Uh, would you call her, please? That would be difficult, monsieur. Madame Perron is dead. 
dead? Oui. There was among the refugees who were killed on the highways as they tried to escape from Paris. Well, I'm terribly sorry to hear that. But what about her little son, Pierre? What happened to him? I do not know. Pierre is gone, too. Oh, poor little devil. Well, are any of Madame Perron's old lodgers still living in this house? No. German officers live here now. Well, France will rise again, Madame. Where you say those words? Who are you? I'm a friend of France. I'm looking for an old comrade, an American, Arthur Mason. Do you know him? I know of him. He's not here now. Go to the Hotel de Capture, Boulevard de Strasbourg. Ask the night clerk at the desk. That is all I can tell you. Merci, madame. Hotel de Capture. <laughs> Oh, are you the night clerk? Uh, oui, monsieur. What can I do for you? Well, I'm trying to locate an old friend. I understand he stopped here at one time. Perhaps he left a forwarding address. His name, please? Mason. Mason? His uh, first name? Arthur. Arthur Mason. Uh, many people come here looking for Monsieur Mason. Uh, some of them speak French with a German accent. Well, I'm American. You can see that. Eh? Look, uh, here's my passport. Oh, oui. This lady and I are in trouble, and we've got to find Mason tonight. We don't mean to do him any harm. Quite the contrary. We need his help. Uh, I think I understand. Attention. Huh? Don't look. Uh, continue talking to me. The Gestapo car has just stopped outside this hotel. The men inside it are watching you through the window. Oh, I knew they'd find us. Don't lose your nerve, Laura. Don't lose yours. What are we going to do? Attendez, monsieur. I placed the hotel register before you saw. You sign your name as if you were going to become a guest here. Uh, you understand? I get you. We've got to make them think they have us in a trap. Oui. Uh, what happens next? Now, I pretend to show you to the corridor which leads to your rooms. Uh, uh, follow me, please. We're right with you. If we only had some luggage, it might look real. But instead, I show you to this door which opens to the back alley. I will get word to Mason. Good. Uh, you tell him Steve Wilson is here. Tell him to meet us at Mimi's. At Mimi's, oui. Uh, bonsoir, monsieur, madame. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. God bless you. Come on, Lorelei. Oh, that was a narrow shave. Yeah, we're not out of it yet. Yeah, watch your step. It's as black as the ace of spades in this alley. <laughs> oh, What's the matter? Hmm? There's something lying here on the ground. I think it's the body of a man. I nearly fell over him. Wait a minute until I strike a match. Don't light a match. Hey, Scott. Who are you? The driver of your cab, monsieur. Men lying on the ground. An agent of the Gestapo. He was waiting here for you. He will wait no more. What did you do to him? Does it matter? One Nazi less to plead for us. My cab is waiting at the end of the alley. Hurry. Well, why should you risk your life to help us? The Gestapo wants you. That is enough for me. Are you English spies? No, no, no. We're, we're Americans. We're hunting for another American. A good friend, Art Mason. We've got to find him tonight. Yes, my cab. Get in quick. You should have told me you wanted Monsieur Mason. Well, how could we know you were to be trusted? The little people of France are still to be trusted, Monsieur. They are still fighting for liberty. I believe that, driver. Take us to the park, the Bois de Boulogne. But you told the clerk you'd meet Mason at Mimi's. I know, that's where she is, in the Bois de Boulogne.
loin isn't like a park at all. It's more like a forest. Yes, you could get lost in here if you didn't know your way around. But you said you were going to meet Aunt Mason at Mimi's. Mm-hmm. Now, don't tell me Mimi lives here among the trees. There's Mimi. Where? That broken statue of Psyche standing there in the middle of the pool. Well, <laughs> well she certainly looks devilish, doesn't she? <laughs> well, that's why Art and I called her Mimi. <laughs> we used to meet here in the old days. <laughs> We've hiked through these woods a hundred times. What? Well, if Art's still alive and the clerk got word to him, I'm banking that he'll show up. Well, I hope you're right. I've already got the jitters. I never did care for the woods at night. Bonsoir, Monsieur, Madame. Holy smoke, a kid. Don't you remember me, Monsieur Wilson? I am Pierre, the son of Madame Perrault. Pierre? Well, I'd never know it. Well, you've certainly grown since I saw you last. Oui. This is in Paris. A fellow gets to be a man very quickly. But I am 12. Uh, I beg your pardon. This is uh, Lorelai. Hello, Pierre. Well, forgive me for saying it, but you don't look as if you get enough to eat. I think I have never had enough to eat, mademoiselle. There are thousands like me here in Paris. Boys whose fathers and mothers have been killed by the Nazis. They call us the wild boys of the streets. I am the leader of my own gang. Have you got your gang with you? They are never very far away from me. Monsieur Mason got word you were here. He could not come himself, so he sent me to get oh, you. you. You know where he is? Oh, but of course. My boys and I, we work with him. We have to deliver his underground newspaper, La Liberté. We are working for free France. And you can take it to him tonight? Oui, mademoiselle, at once. You come with me. Just put me ready to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Stop it. Quick, man, to grab that boy. Yeah, I've got him, excellent. Boy, run, let me go. Try it, you. Oh, oh, you filthy beast. These wild boys must be controlled, Fräulein. Their bite is poisonous. I trust you haven't forgotten me, Herr Wilson, Captain Heinrich. I'll never forget you. We lost you once tonight, but we won't lose you again. We've trailed you from one place to another, knowing you'd lead us to Mason. Oh, that's where you made a great mistake. We don't know where he is. Ah, but the boy knows, and I don't think we'll have much trouble with him. We have methods that make even strong men tell all they know. You can talk to me, but I will never tell you. I think you will, Gutterat. Bring him along, Bender. You're coming with us, Wilson. You too, Fräulein. Our car is waiting down the road. Stop moving. I'm wearing a I'm wearing a glove. It's the wild boys. It's a mob of the excellent. They are soon to get pictures of Bender. Fire on them. Drive them back. elaborate hideout you have down here, Art. Yes, the catacombs under this old cathedral must have been built over 500 years ago. They've hidden many a revolutionary in the past. This isn't the first time France has fought for her freedom, you know. You know, Art, those uh, newsletters you sent to the press created a sensation in Big Town. We've got to have more of them. You'll get them, Steve. One of our workers will contact you regularly. Here's the code you'll use. Thanks, Art. Be sure you don't lose it. No, I won't. First, I've got to get you two out of Paris. Well, I don't see how it can be done. Well, it has been done. It's being done. Now, this is one of the stations on the underground route for smuggling refugees into the unoccupied zone. Well, it's about time you got here, Major. Oh, it's Mason. Oh, Stuve. Come here, Ryan. Besten Dank. 
What is I want you to, uh, to meet uh, two friends of mine, Steve Wilson and Lorelai Kilburn. Let me say, say, what is this, Art? A German officer in uniform? What the devil is he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Tell him, Major. Well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Wilson, I'm as much of an American as you are. You see, huh? Germany has no monopoly on secret agents. Our men of the United States intelligence get around, too. I can't tell you the major's real name, but he just finished an assignment in Berlin and Paris. My job is to help him get out of here, into unoccupied territory. All we needed was a Gestapo card. We've got one now, thanks to you and Pierre. Uh, we're leaving at once, Mr. Wilson. We? Yes, we have a German uniform for you. You'll be my military chauffeur. All you have to do is keep quiet. Well, that shouldn't be difficult. You'll have to be across the border before daybreak. You think you can stand another trip tonight, Lorelai? I'm game. Well, it won't be fun, exactly, and I can't promise it will succeed. You ready to change, Wilson? Yes, I'm ready. Uh, say, uh, look here, Art. Uh, why can't you come with us? Oh, Steve, my work is here. I can't leave my wild boys. They need me. I'll get word to you from time to time. Bye, old man. So long, Lorelai. Send my regards to all the boys in Big Town. <laughs> France, the last station under German military control. Sit tight, both of you. Say nothing unless you have to. Hello, Captain. Your name, Mario? Reinhardt, third division. En route to Vichy. Here are my papers. Thank you, Herr Major. Very good. Everything is in order, Herr Major. Thank you. Proceed, driver. One moment, please. Uh, we have a description of this car. It was stolen from the Gestapo last night in Paris. Uh -huh. Wait till I see the number. It's the same. You'll have to come inside until I report this to my captain. Oh, come inside. Nothing. We're late already. Uh, yeah, it's my fault, Herr, Herr Major. The, the car order for this trip broke down last night, and I found this one abandoned on the street near the Bois de Boulogne. Knowing you had to leave it once, I commandeered it in your name. Oh, you stupid fool. You should have reported this to me. Uh, my apologies to the Gestapo, Sergeant. Tell them I send their car back from Vichy, eh? But I can't let you go on, Major. My orders are very strict. My orders supersede any that you may have received. I'm on the business of our failure. I'm not to be delayed, understand? But, Herr Major, at last, let him call my captain. Get out of our way or we run you down. Drive on, you idiot. Drive on. Come yeah, 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 Herr Major. Herr Major. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, I never thought we'd make it that time. <laughs> it's a lucky thing for us. There were no commissioned officers on the bed yet. Oh, I'm just about ready to collapse. Well... We're in the unoccupied zone now. Keep going, Wilson. Well, don't worry, I will. Goodbye, Paris. I hope I'll see you again someday. Someday when you're free. Tuned in, please. In 30 seconds, we're going to give you a hair-raising highlight from next week's show. Morning, evening, noon, and night. There are dishes to wash and grease to fight. And that's where the new anti-sneeze Rinso is tough. I'm telling you, ladies, with those rich go-getter Rinso suds in action, the stubbornest grease-coated platter emerges from the pan with a dazzling sparkle. And Rinso's easy on your hands. It doesn't get them all rough and red. Yes, it's all that and thrifty, too. Costs less than a cent a day to do your dishes the Rinso way. So get new anti-sneeze Rinso 
tomorrow. And now for the preview of next week's thrilling show, an adventure laid against the romantic background of Tangier in Spanish Morocco, a story of thieves matching wits with a dangerous spy. From the Wilhelmstrasse in Berlin, the news leaks out that Jason, the Nazi's master killer, is on the loose again. It's night in Tangier, a narrow alley between two high walls, Steve and Lorelei hidden in the shadows of the doorway. Got him, Lorelai. You think he's still here in the alley? He's got to be. There's no exit at the other end. He's hunting us just as we're hunting him. No matter what happens, I want you to stay right here where you'll be safe. Patrick, I can hear someone scraping along the side of the wall. Right, he's coming this way. Get back. There he goes. Stay where you are, Lorelai. Think the best. It may be a trap. Oh, you fool, don't follow him into that dark room. What did I tell you? There's a snap lock on the door. I can't get it open. Remember, that's a scene from the middle of the story, not the end. Same time, same station, next Thursday night. The music for tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Lee Stevens. This broadcast was produced under the direction of Crane Wilson. All the names used in Big Town are fictitious, and any similarity to actual persons and places is surely coincidental. There's nothing so dismal as a foghorn. Unless it's somebody with... Stop B.O. Take a daily bath with the new 1942 Life Boy. New added ingredient, new vanishing scent, same protective lather. From head to toe, it stops B.O. Life Boy. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. of fate. The fate of individuals, of nations, of the world has often hung upon accident, upon decisions that made the other way would have altered the course of human events. Suppose fate had decided that one of the four bullets which pierced George Washington's clothes on July 9th, 1755, during Braddock's defeat, had struck and killed him. Would we have won our independence from England? Or what would have happened if, by a stroke of fate, Hitler had decided not to turn east against Russia before attacking the West? Would we have won World War II? Yes, much depends upon a stroke of fate. And tonight we rewrite history as we present our conception of what might have happened if... By a stroke of fate, Robert E. Lee had accepted Lincoln's offer to command the Union Army. And now may I present our narrator for this evening, the noted newspaper columnist, Mr. Walter Kiernan. History tells us that on April 18, 1861, following the surrender of Fort Sumter, the command of the Union forces in the field was offered to Colonel in the United States Army, Robert E. Lee, 
Several months before, in January 1861, Lee had written, I can anticipate no greater calamity for the country than a dissolution of the Union. It would be an accumulation of the evils we complain of, and I am willing to sacrifice everything but honor for its preservation. Lee, as we know, refused the command of the federal forces in the field. But what if fate had willed that one of the noblest, most talented military leaders in our history, Robert E. Lee, had remained with the Union instead of going with his native state of Virginia? April 18, 1861, at the home of Colonel Robert E. Lee, Arlington Heights, Virginia, near Washington. Lee is discussing his vital decision with his wife, Mary Custis. And then my dear Mr. Blair asked me if I would assume the field command of the entire army. He gave me to understand that President Lincoln wanted to know if I would accept that position. Uh, Mr. Blair, Robert? Mr. Francis Blair, Sr. He asked me to come to Washington this morning. You know, his son Montgomery has just been made postmaster general. Both of them have great influence with Mr. Lincoln. Yes, of course. He said that General Scott would remain as commander-in-chief. Well, what was your answer? I told him I wanted a day or two more to think about it. For months, since the other states seceded, I've thought about what I'd do if Virginia left the Union. Now that it has... Robert, if you accept this command, you'll have to invade Virginia, won't you? Yes, Mary, I'm afraid I'd have to, to protect the capital. But how could you raise your hand against your home, your relatives, perhaps your children? I know. But, Mary, how can I desert the flag under which I've spent my entire life, the flag I've fought for? I've been educated by this country, trained by it as a soldier. How can I desert it? Your father said that Virginia was his country. I'm not Light Horse Harry Lee. I must make my own decision. Robert, your people are here. There have been Lees in Virginia since 1630, long before there was the United States of America. Yes, but Mary, this is rebellion. George Washington, whom you admire so much, fought in a rebellion against the mother country. But once there was a United States of America, wasn't Washington an American first and then a Virginia? But Robert, you... Mary, everything you said I've thought about, every instinct I have tells me to go with Virginia. This is my home, my people, but even if the South wins this conflict, Virginia will not be safe. What do you mean? If the South can secede and form a confederacy, what is to prevent some of the states within that confederacy from seceding and forming a still smaller one, and so on, until eventually, instead of one strong nation, there's nothing left but weak individual states, the prey of the first powerful country that wants to pounce on them one by one. Oh, if there's only been more patience on both sides, north and south, this need never have happened. Yes, Mary. For months, I've hoped and prayed that Virginia wouldn't go with the Confederacy. I've hoped and prayed that I wouldn't be faced with this awful decision. <laughs> After more soul-searching, Lee finally accepts the Union command. 75,000 volunteers have been called for by the president, and Lee asks for time to train them. But before he is ready, Lee is forced to fight at Bull Run, not far from Washington, where the untrained troops of the Army of the Potomac are defeated by the Confederates under Generals Beauregard and Johnston. 
And in President Lincoln's office in the White House... Mr. Lincoln, I'm here to offer my resignation as field commander. I'll be very happy to serve in any other capacity you wish. But General Lee, I haven't asked for your resignation. Mr. Lincoln, there have been demands in Congress that I be replaced. They're looking for a scapegoat for Bull Run. But I believe the people have lost confidence in me, Mr. Lincoln. Most of the newspapers have demanded I resign. Mr. Greeley is... General, Mr. Greeley isn't head of this government. And he's not the neck of the government either, wagging this head. I don't hold you responsible for our beating at Bull Run. Well, that's very kind of you, Mr. Lincoln. Lee, what those congressmen have said about you is nothing to what they've said about me. <laughs> I've been called everything from a gawky, long-armed ape to half-alligator, half-horse. Hmm. Now that I think of it, that's no great compliment. I don't think I'm a fool, and I don't think you're incompetent. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. President. Lee, I know it was you who turned a route at Bull Run into an orderly retreat, and your men are still in position to protect Washington. And that's what I'm most interested in right now. Protecting the Capitol. I'm sure they can do that. So, you don't wish my resignation? Wasn't going to accept it. If anybody's to blame for that defeat at Bull Run, I am. You said the men weren't trained enough to fight, and you were right. But Congress and the people wanted to fight. I thought I had to give in to keep the people backing us up in this war. Besides, some of those three months' enlistments were about to run out. We couldn't let those men go home without fighting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, now, what are your plans for the future? Oh, generally, sir, to destroy their military might. That's the quickest way to end this thing. Good, good. There are many of my advisors who feel that for us to win, we must take Richmond. But I believe if you destroy their army... Richmond will fall by itself. Thank you, General Lee. And believe me, I have every confidence in you. These are dark days for the North before Lee has his troops trained. But then the Army of the Potomac, with Lee in command and backed by the superior resources of the North and West in materiel and manpower, starts to win victories. The North wins the second battle of Bull Run. General Lee's Army of the Potomac, with Meade second in command, wins the Battle of Fredericksburg. Wars, of course, are not fought only by generals. And just north of Richmond, on the Chickahominy River... Hey, hey. What do you want, Reb? How about trades and coffee for the back, eh? All right. We'll float it across on the raft like we did last night. You send back the tobacco. Oh, sure enough. Hey, Yank. Huh? We heard Bali and Selfish command you blueberries, that so? Yeah. Came into camp yesterday. <laughs> you Johnnies better give up. He'll make you skedaddle. Yeah, we'll whip Bob Lee and be in Washington before the month's out. Hang on that ugly Abe Lincoln. <laughs> that boy well, seems to have a lot of confidence in himself, doesn't he? General. General Lee. Son, don't you know there are regulations against trading with the enemy? Yes, sir. Well, let's have no more of it. Yes, sir, General, if you say so. What were you trading? Coffee for their tobacco, General. Smoking or chawing? Chawing? Yeah. Have a chore. 
With Robert E. Lee exhibiting his usual superb generalship, the Union forces won a hard-fought battle at Cold Harbor, nearly destroying the Confederate Army of Northern Virginia. A month later, in a tent near Shiloh, Tennessee. General Grant, I believe this is the second time we've met. Yes, met you once before General Lee while we were serving in Mexico. I've always remembered your appearance. I think I should have recognized you anywhere. May I congratulate you on your promotion as commanding general of the army? Thank you. I've uh, been greatly disturbed, General Grant, by the extent of our casualties About 10,000 killed and wounded in two days fighting. They lost about the same number, I take it. I had to risk it. General Lee, are you here to relieve me of my command? Of your command of the Army of the Tennessee, yes. You're being placed in command of the entire Army of the West. I recommended you for this new command in spite of our casualties at Shiloh. Thanks. The president agreed you were the best man for this command. I'm grateful to both of you. a matter of fact, I was with the president when a delegation came to see him, demanding that he dismiss you from the service because of the casualties we suffered here. I like Mr. Lincoln's answer. May I ask what it was, General? Yes. He said, I can't spare this man. He fights. Proclamation in the spring of 1862, and then with Grant and Sherman winning victories in the West, General Lee drives towards the Confederate capital. And in the summer of 1863, in spite of the magnificent efforts of such Confederate leaders as Stonewall Jackson and General Johnston, Lee captures Richmond, and the war between the states is over only two years after it started. Six months later, in the beginning of the year 1864, Edwin M. Stanton, patriotic, competent, vitriolic Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton, is in President Lincoln's office in the White House. Mr. Lincoln, I was dismayed to receive your request for my resignation. Stanton, that was one of the most unpleasant decisions I've ever had to make. While the war was on, you were a good friend and a faithful servant. You were the rock upon which beat the waves of that conflict. But then why, Mr. Lincoln? Will you because tell Because since the war ended, Stanton, in spite of my asking you not to do it, you've been carrying information concerning my plans to the very people in Congress who've been opposing them, to Stevens and Sumner, and helping them to undermine my policy. Your policy since the war ended, Mr. Lincoln, is ruining the country. The South must be severely punished. It must be taught a lesson it won't forget for a thousand years. The South has been punished. Its territory has been destroyed. It's lost many thousands of its best young men. Traitors, every one of them. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That would be my way of dealing with them. I prefer another quotation from the same book, Stanton. Judge not, lest ye be judged. You're far too weak in dealing with these rebellious states, Mr. Lincoln. It's God's will that they be crushed with an iron heel. Everybody seems to know God's will except in me, just like during the war. You'd think if God was going to make his will known to anybody, it'd be to me, seeing I'm head of the government. Amnesties, pardons, rebuilding the South. What sort of victory is this? The South has been conquered and should be treated as a conquered foreign country. But the South isn't a foreign country, Stanton. It's part of the Union. 
All I want is for the South to assume its rightful place in the affairs of the Union as soon as possible. Your mildness will be mistaken for weakness. Jefferson Davis should have been hung, and the rest of the Southern leaders with him. Toombs, Benjamin, and Benton, the rest. I'm trying to heal the scars of this war, not keep them open. I have no wish to make a martyr out of Jeff Davis. A martyr? Why, he's being treated as an honored guest at Fort Monroe, instead of a felon. As he deserves. He's neither being treated as an honored guest, nor is he being mistreated. You know I never wanted to take Jeff Davis. <laughs> I was hoping he'd get on his horse and ride right into the Gulf of Mexico and never be heard of again. Going to admit him to bail and send him to Canada. The North will never forgive you if you do, Mr. Lincoln. Stanton... Having Jeff Davis is like having an elephant who wants to run by the hind legs. Best thing to do is let him go. Lincoln, there are men who feel so strongly against what you've been doing that, heaven forbid, they're even willing to... Well, there have been threats. I know, Stanton. I don't reckon anybody wants to kill me. Anyhow, not badly enough to succeed in doing it. I don't think these are empty threats. I appreciate your concern for my safety. Stanton, I don't think anybody appreciates your great services during the war more than I do. And of them, I have nothing to unsay. And yet we have reached a point of mutual embarrassment in our official relations, which it seems cannot be overcome or longer sustained consistently with the public service. Very well, sir. You will have my resignation in the morning. General Lee, I have on my desk Mr. Stanton's resignation as Secretary of War. I can think of no one who is more suited to that job than yourself. I'd be pleased if you would accept the appointment. Thank you, Mr. Lincoln. I appreciate your confidence. I'll accept. Lee? Do you know one of the reasons I've taken such a shine to you? What is it, Mr. Lincoln? Well, you've never found fault with me. Three months later, the home of Secretary of War Robert E. Lee at Arlington Heights. It is late in the afternoon. General. General Lee. What is it, Blair? I've just come from Washington. I have dreadful news. The president has been... What about the president? Mr. Lincoln's been shot. Murdered. President murdered? You sure? He was shot while taking a ride in his carriage. I saw it happen. Abraham Lincoln killed. Who could have done such a monstrous thing? A madman. His name was Phillips. He shot the president and shouted, So die all traitors to the Union. The Union? They say that his brother died in Andersonville prison during the war, and he hated the South so much. After Abraham Lincoln's assassination by a Northern sympathizer, Vice President Hamlin succeeds to the presidency, but he is blocked by the Northern radicals in Congress bitter towards the South. The presidential election of 1864 is but a few months away, and the Republican convention is in the offing. At Lee's home at Arlington Heights, 1864. 
Mary, I've just received a visit from Mr. Blair and a couple of other gentlemen, important men in the Republican Party. Yes, Robert? They've just come from a meeting at the Willard Hotel with quite a few Republican leaders, and now they're convinced that one of three men will be nominated for the presidency. Oliver P. Morton, Salmon P. Chase, or possibly Charles Sumner. Every one of them committed to destroying Mr. Lincoln's policy toward the South. Oh, that would be a great tragedy, a very great tragedy. It would be that. Congress has already thwarted every attempt President Hamlin has made to carry out Mr. Lincoln's plan of reconstruction. And those military governments they've reestablished all over the seceded states except in Virginia. I think it's terribly wrong. The South is already embittered at its treatment since Mr. Lincoln's death. If someone like Mr. Morton or Mr. Chase becomes president, the country will be split wide open. What did they want with you, dear? They, uh... They wanted to know if I would accept the Republican nomination for president if it were offered to me. What? Mr. Blair said I was the only man who believes in Mr. Lincoln's policies towards the South who could win the Republican nomination from the radicals. And in this year, that's the same as election. What did you tell them? That I couldn't consider it, of course. For one thing, I'm not even a Republican. I've always inclined towards the Democratic Party, although I've never voted in a national election. They said that made no difference. The important thing was to carry out Mr. Lincoln's policies, and I was the only man who had a chance of doing it. That's very possible. But, Mary, I'm not a politician. I've never even considered this possibility. I have neither the desire, talent, nor capacity for such a position. You can do anything you set out to do, Robert. But my entire life has been spent as a soldier. I've always believed that no such man should be president. I still believe that. But if you were to become president... Oh, Mary, the whole idea is ridiculous. I'm sure I couldn't be nominated, not to say elected. Virginia's just been readmitted in the Union. People will not forget that Virginia seceded, and I'm a Virginian. Yes, but they also won't forget that you led the Union Army to victory. You're a great national hero. I believe you could be president if you wish. Mary, all I wish is to stay here at Arlington with you and my family. I've had so little time to spend here. Besides, Mary, I'm an old man. You, Robert? Oh, you'll never be old. I'm too old to undertake that job, Mary. Arlington must be rebuilt. We've hardly started to rebuild what was destroyed during the war. So much work to be done here. But, Robert, if you were president, you could do so much for Virginia, for the South, for the entire country. You, you are the only one who could heal the breach. There are others, Mary. There must be others. I place in nomination a man who we know is reluctant to accept, and yet I am certain he will yield to the demands of his fellow Americans. That great patriot, that peerless soldier, that friend of Abraham Lincoln, and the man I am sure the great Lincoln would have himself chosen to lead our country into the paths of peace, prosperity, and unity. Gentlemen, I have the honor to nominate 
General Robert Edward Lee! March 4th, 1865, in front of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. You have just heard the first episode in a new series, Stroke of Fate, in which we show how fateful decisions and accidents might have changed history. Now, it is our pleasure to introduce our history consultant on tonight's program, president of the Society of American Historians, and twice winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Biography, Professor Alan Nevins. It is true that Lee hesitated whether to take command of the Union Army, informally offered by Lincoln and Scott, or the forces of Virginia. Had he accepted the Union offer, had he brought his experience, sagacity, determination, and belief in attack to the side of the North, the Army of the Potomac would have had one masterful commander instead of its succession of five failures. Second Bull Run could have been a Northern victory, not a defeat. There would have been no Antietam. No Gettysburg, no Sherman's march through Georgia. Lee might well have made Cold Harbor the decisive northern victory of the war. However, Lee, for all his brief hesitation, was certain to accept the southern, not the northern, command. He was certain to do so because intense devotion to Virginia had been ingrained in the Lee family for more than two centuries. Because he felt that the southerners were his people because he denied that the government had any right to coerce a sovereign state. Lee said, General Winfield Scott, you have made the greatest mistake of your life. We can only wonder whether our national history would not have been brighter had Lee, as in tonight's story, found it possible to decide for the Union. Thank you, Professor Nevins. Be sure to listen next week to hear what might have happened if, by a stroke of fate, the plot of the Earl of Essex to depose Queen Elizabeth had succeeded. Featured on tonight's Stroke of Fate presentation were Roger DeCoven as Robert E. Lee, Cameron Prudhomme as Lincoln, Peggy Allenby as Mary Custis, and John McGovern as Edward Stanton. Others in the cast were Kermit Murdoch, William Keene, Ken Williams, and John Seymour. The narrator was Walter Kiernan. Stroke of Faith is produced by Mort and Lester Lewis, conceived and written by Mort Lewis and directed by Roger Bauer. This is the NBC Radio Network. That's going to do it for the Relic Radio Show for this week. There's more coming tomorrow on Case Closed. And of course, next Tuesday, another episode of the Relic Radio Show. In between now and then, visit relicradio.com to find more from this podcast, all the others, 
and our shoutcast ring with even more old-time radio. Lots to listen to, all made possible by your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Can't do it without your help. Thank you, as always, to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.